You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning in this marvelous spirit of worship. You know, it's there in the 23rd Psalm, it says, Surely, truly, goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life. <laughs> and um, I'm old enough now I can look back. I've got a testimony. And the tracks are all over the place. It's just all tracked up with the goodness of God. So I'm, if I get a hold of myself here, I'm going to preach in a little bit. <laughs> You know, I'm trying to keep up with the vocabulary and all the rest of this stuff. And, and uh, in my younger days, wrecked was a bad thing. And now I hear people, you know, just God wrecked us and it's like it's a really good thing. I think I'm wrecked this morning. I'm wrecked with the goodness of God, just the thought of it, all my life. How about you? All my life he's been faithful, all my life. Mm. Well, let me update you on where we're at in regard to the pastoral search. Uh, this past week, I did present a list of names of potential pastors uh, to the church board. Now, most of these don't know their names are on that list. But I've asked the board to pray and do some consideration and watch some sermons and, and other things like that. And because we're in the midst of pastoral transition, our bylaws, the Manual of the Church of the Nazarene, provides that during such times, with the approval of the congregation, the church, the present church board can remain in place. And you, you would understand, it just wouldn't make sense uh, to change proverbial horses in the middle of the stream. So I've asked the present board if they would consider extending their terms one year, wherever they're at in the rotation, uh, as we get through uh, this process, and, and they have agreed to do so. And so as Harmony mentioned a few minutes ago, that'll be on that ballot a couple of weeks from now. So uh, thank you for helping us with that. You understand I'm spending most of my time these days in pastoral searches. And because of such, and I, I already believed these things, but it's just all the more pronounced right now because I have so many of them at once that I'm dealing with, it's become clear to me that really there's, it's like there's three levels or three components that we're really looking at in regard to uh, calling a pastor. And the first one is absolutely foundational, and it's, it's the matter of character. Uh, just this week, one of your board members had listened to a podcast that she had heard, and she sent it to the rest of us, and uh, I listened to it, it was so good, and, and the speaker on the podcast had also written a book entitled Character Still Counts, and I, I bought the book. It's just really all that good. And you understand, character is, is foundational. In fact, I'll even put it down, it's the foot or below the foundation. It's got to be there as, for a pastor and, and what we're looking uh, for Paul was very plain about this when, when he wrote that 
that an overseer, or in this case a pastor, must be above reproach and exhibit marital fidelity and temperate in spirit and self-control and respectable, gentle, not a lover of money, an orderly family, and, and live in such a way that even outsiders would have a hard time finding anything bad to say about him. So you remember those congregational surveys that, that you did here a couple of months ago, and those are proving so useful and, and thank you for your participation. Hundreds of you did that, and thank you. And it was really amazing to me for a church as large as this one to look at that and then of what you did and then what your staff and board completed. They completed those separately. We held those in a separate category. And to look at how those so matched up and I think it speaks of tremendous unity of mindset within this congregation that you, are, that you see an awful lot of things alike in regard to where the church is and also what you believe should be some primary traits or previous experiences of your next pastor. But in addition to those little, you know, one, two, three, and, and all that on there, there was some space to write a little bit. 248 of you decided to take to writing. I mean, that's a lot of people. And I've read every one of your comments. And I think your church board's read all of your comments. I mean, they're just lots and lots of, and it says to me how much you love your church. And these, these weren't like comments. I mean, it was just insights about your church and things that, that you feel very strongly about. Don Rodden, your good church board secretary, actually put all of these into groupings. I mean, it's like, what a man that guy is, you know, and, and took them and framed them all. But there was one uh, lady who didn't, who didn't write there, but she wrote in another, uh, sent a little note in and just shared a few things. And then near the end of that, just, she, she just made this statement, character infiltrates circumstances. And I'm like, I wish I was that succinctly brilliant you know just to say something like that because it it gets it boiled right down it affects everything else you know it doesn't matter the appearance of your pastor or how talented he or she may be on other fronts if there's not that character there of of person because there's times you know pastors have to do things see things make difficult decisions and it's in those moments it's going to fall back on character So, you know, we've got, okay, desired, previous experiences, traits, gifts, whatever. We've got that. We've got character. But then there's this other matter, and, and eventually I'm getting to my assigned text of Philippians 3, but it got me thinking about Philippians uh, 1 there. And, and you understand, Paul, I think what gives Philippians its credibility is that Paul's in lockdown. So when he writes much of what he does, it's not from a, a comfortable, you know, he's not writing from the coffee shop. He is, he's in lockdown, he's in prison, he's, he's connected, he's got guards on, on either side of him. And Paul writes there in chapter one, I want you to know, my brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has in effect turned out for the advantage of the gospel. For first of all, my imprisonment means a personal witness to Christ before the palace guards, not to mention everyone else who's coming and going. Paul was passionate about presenting the gospel of Jesus to everybody, everywhere. 
And some of the, the verses around this one note that some of the other days, the other preachers of the day were, were caught up in, in position and other motivations. But for Paul, it just didn't matter. Position didn't matter. Setting didn't matter. Somebody said to me a little while back, Jeff, you understand the position that you have um, can tend to make cynic a cynic out of you. It, it, it was said to me early enough on in my position that I've done everything I can to guard against that. Because you understand when, when, you, when you deal with just some of the things that I see and hear and, and, and have to be part of, it can make you a, a little you know, ragged around the edges about eh, people. And unfortunately, one of the things that Sometimes, not, not the majority, but once in a while that I've, I've, had, I've seen firsthand is that some preachers are, quote, all in. They're all in. As long as they have a position or a title or a salary. <laughs> but Paul was all in all the time with his passion of telling everybody everywhere about Jesus. Now, I'm not God. But I got to thinking about it the other day. And I thought, you know, if I were God and I had a pastor that was just consumed with this idea of sharing Jesus with everybody everywhere, I think I'd want to send him to a church that was, you get what I'm saying. I wouldn't want to waste him, you know, and say, well, let's send him to a church where they don't care. You know, they just take care of us. I think if I were God, I'd want to send that kind of a preacher to a church already that says, we want everybody, everywhere. You know, I came to town a little early this morning and as I was just driving through some of your streets, I was looking at houses and thinking, I wonder if they're going to church this morning. I wonder if they know Jesus this morning. And Paul was passionate. And we want, a, we want a pastor who's passionate about sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with everybody, everywhere. Then we come to two. Paul was passionate in challenging these people to become more and more like Jesus. To these dear friends, he's urging them in a variety of ways, all summed up in this admonition. Let your attitude be like that of Christ Jesus. Paul had a high bar for himself and for his hearers. My last uh, pastor, there was a family who started attending our church, and they, they had church background, and, and they'd been there, oh my goodness, probably better than a year, and the woman said to me after the services one Sunday morning, she came up to me, she said, oh, pastor, stay at it, you're, you're my exhorter. I'd, I've been called a lot of things, and I'd never been called that before, so I'm, I, but she said it like it was a positive thing, so I just thanked her for it and thought, well, whatever. And, you know, I guess that's good. But I, don't, I would, honestly, I wasn't too crazy about it. I, I'm like, I don't know what that means necessarily. Well, a couple years went by, and, and she came up to me again and said the same thing. Oh, Pastor, you're, you're my exhorter. And I thought, she's going to keep calling me this. I at least ought to know what she's saying to me. So I pulled the dictionary out, and, and the definition that jumped out at me was this to exhort, to challenge others in an encouraging manner. And no doubt, that's who Paul was. I mean, there's times, as we'll see even this morning, that Paul had to get after some people, but really, 
all told, he had this spirit of just, of just pushing people to become more and more like Jesus rather than just saying, well, you're miserable and I'm miserable and let's all live in our, our miserableness together. But rather, he's, he's pushing them, let's be more and more like Jesus. And I'm not God. But I got to thinking if I were, and I had a church, and I had a preacher that was really into pushing people and, and exhorting people and encouraging people to be more and more like Jesus, I think I'd want to send him to a church that, where the people said, we want to be like Jesus. Preach to us. Exhort us. So now we come to three. Chapter three starts out sounding just like a good Bible verse should. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Doesn't that sound like a good Bible verse? Yeah, that's a good one. And then you get to two, and Paul takes a turn, and he starts calling people names, like dogs. Read it. Quote, verse two, watch out for those dogs. Whoa, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Who's he talking about? Not politicians, not murderers, not people who do necessarily detestable things. He's talking who were to, about people who were trying to make the Christian faith something other than what it truly is meant to be. In a nutshell, there were these who still said, well, yeah, uh, we believe in Jesus, but we still have all of these Jewish practices, including circumcision, as being essential to Christian faith. And with that, Paul goes after them. But not only does he go after them, he references his own personal story. In fact, he, if, what he's saying is, I had all that you're pushing and I had more of it, and I, had, and I was better at it than you or anybody else, but I'm not buying it now, and you shouldn't be selling it. So this, this passage is always a little challenging to preach from, if for no other reason that Paul was addressing straight on issues that we just we don't have straight on. I mean, it's not a one-to-one -one saying, yeah, that's still our issue. Almost, I've got 40 years of preaching and never once has somebody said, what are we gonna do with the circumcision group in the church? You know, it's, just, it's just not a big issue anymore. It's like, yeah, you know, that's a little awkward. Let's, let's you know, it's like, oh, let's not go there. So normally what preachers do, they get this passage, is they apply the principle here that salvation is not by works, but it's by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ, and that's the gospel, and that's a good thing to do, and that's a good thing to preach, and it's right, and it's true. But however, as I was pondering and praying over all of this again, there came another thought. You see, Paul is in short form telling his own story because it was connected to the issue that he was addressing. And Paul's story pretty much can be summed up as, I did religion, and I did religion well, very well. And then I met Jesus Christ. <laughs> 
And with that, you just get this picture that Paul goes into, launches into overdrive, speaking faster than his secretary can get it down. I was a Benjamite, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a near perfect Pharisee, but none of that means anything to me now. In fact, it's worthless compared to the incredible reality, the all surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ. Paul was passionate about knowing Jesus. So I got to thinking about stories and um, stories I've heard and stories I've watched and stories I've read. And for the most part, I think I can put an awful lot of people's stories into four groups. Uh, this has been a, a really good week for me as, as, I had, as I was working on this because I've got thinking about people that I've known and, and people that I've met and people that I've watched and people that I've listened to. It's like, yeah, stories. So there was Paul. There, there's the group that, not a big group, but there's a group like Paul that say, yeah, you know, I, I did the religious thing. I, you know, I, I was an altar boy. I was there all the time, you know. I went to went there. I was there. I, I learned everything I was supposed to learn. I mean, hey, this week I, I was reading a little writing from a, a guy that grew up as a Muslim. You know, I, I was all, all in. They were religious and they were good at it. But then they met Jesus Christ. <laughs> And everything changed and they went from being religious people to Jesus people. And you understand there's a world of difference. Second group is, I did the religious thing, but I never measured up. I know that feeling. But then I met Jesus Christ. <laughs> so anyway, I didn't tell the first service this because you know, they're, they're real punctual. But... <laughs> You know, during COVID, I, I wasn't in the gym anymore, so, you know, I'd, I'd go out walking, but, you know, I'm a wimp. You know, I, I, like, I like controlled temperatures, no wind, no rain, no snow, no puddles, and no dogs. That's how a workout should be. And uh, I'm not, you know, takes me twice as long as it used to. So I'm on treadmill the other day. And normally what I do now, since I've gone back, is on this screen I put CNN, boo. On this screen I put Fox, boo. And it makes either everybody think I'm for them or I'm against them, but they all leave me alone. <laughs> But I went in the other day and somebody had on some movie channel and it was the, you know, that, the blind side, you remember that? Michael Orr played for the Baltimore Ravens, but, you know, he grew up and didn't have a home to live in and the Tuies from Tennessee took him in and they owned all those Taco Bells and, and, and took him into their family and became his legal guardians and really just changed his life. But, but so I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, man, I haven't watched this in a long time. This is great. 
sorry if you don't know the movie, you ought to go get, you know, go get it. But anyway, so, so here it is, you know, and, and big old Michael Orr, a high school student, never played football before, what, but he's not hurting anybody. And it's like, wait a minute. And Leanne walks out on the field and she tells him, you know, these people are your family. And after that, his line in the movie becomes, don't worry, I got your back. I know this is gonna sound strange to some of you, but it's my story. And I'd been pastoring several years, but never felt like I ever measured up and God was always disappointed in me and wondering where I really stood with him. I mean, isn't that an awful thing for a preacher to say to you now? Isn't it, a, wouldn't you hate it to have had a pastor like that? And then one, one little era, and it was just like Jesus was saying, Jeff, I got your back, man. <laughs> I got your back. It's not all on you, it's on me and what I've done for you. I've got your back, now go on and live in my grace. Amen, that ought to make somebody happy here this morning, amen. Well, the third thing. There's a third group, I did the pagan thing. And I, 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 you know, when I say pagan, I mean godless. I mean, not, not like they're just bad, 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 oh, do all this, you know, read about their stories in the newspaper. I, I just mean that no, no thought of God at all. I did the pagan thing. I lived comfortably, but with a growing, gnawing sense of emptiness. I mean, I've met these people, know these people. But then I met Jesus Christ and all the rest of this. Ah, ah, I really found what life was about. And then there's group four, and those can be summed up as I did the pagan thing, and my life was wrecked. <laughs> and I don't mean in a good way, I mean in the old fashioned way of getting wrecked. My life was a mess, it was bad, it was tore up. Then I met Jesus Christ and old things passed away and everything started becoming new. Those testimonies are often dramatic and memorable. So last Tuesday night was my night to teach over at Allen Oakwood Prison. As many of you know, we have a group, 14 men over there who are going through the 26 required courses for ordination in the Church of the Nazarene. Now, the big deal isn't whether or not they become ordained or not uh, in the Church of the Nazarene, but these are, these are men who want to draw closer to Jesus, men who, at their request, wanted to learn how can we more rightly divide the Holy Scripture and how can we minister in our context right here to our fellow inmates and prisoners as well as if we ever get out, how could we more effectively minister there? Well, most of these guys, we start at 445 and go to 745. Most of these guys on an average Tuesday night, they skip supper just so they can be there. And, and I know, you know, a lot of them, it's, you know, they, it's not the best anyway. You understand it. I'm not making a case that it should be, but it, it, it's not the best food. And some of them just live on basically peanut butter and crackers. But that night, because where we're at in the study and all, it was, it was pizza and pasta night. And, and so, I mean, all you, what are people in Lima? Lima nights? 
It sounds biblical. So all of you, all of you Limanites, you would under you would understand appreciate Fat Jack's Pizza. I mean, you know those great big pizzas they got from. I mean, you know how big they are. Great big things. Five of those things. Fourteen men. Three big pasta. You didn't get those at Fat Jack's. Those were homemade. Three big trays of this of pasta salad plus brownies, and they ate it all. And after all of those carbohydrates, my assignment that night was to teach on hermeneutics and the history of interpretation in the modern era. I mean, it's like the most boring lecture in all 26 courses. It just makes you want to stick a pencil in your eye. But they were good sports about it, and I made it as brief as possible. You know, I got to be kosher and fulfill all righteousness to get them through this study. So we got done a little early, and since they didn't have anywhere to go, <sighs> Tractor speaks up. That's his first nickname. He's the only guy I've ever met that also has a middle nickname. His first nickname is Tractor and his middle nickname is Trailer. So it's Tractor Trailer. <laughs> so we're all done. And I, I have no idea. He's probably thinking about this question the whole time I'm talking. He says, you know, I hear you guys come in here talk about this call to preach. Can you guys tell us what that looked like for you? And I said, John, you go first. Now, John Spikers, our pastor of our church down in Crytersville, and he's such a fine and gracious gentleman. He carries himself well. He's always the best dressed man in the room. He has a myriad of talents and a really good laugh. And quite frankly, he looks like he probably always grew up in, in church. And, and, and honestly, you know, I know the Bible says all have sinned, but are there a few people that you're like, eh, maybe. Because, you know, like with John, it's just like, I can't imagine, you know. And I'm thinking he probably, he probably came to Jesus in kindergarten. And, you know, and I, well, I mean, you know. So rather than going straight to answer the question, John starts back in his growing up years and he's not going into a lot of details, but just enough that I'm thinking to myself, and I really mean this, I'm thinking, Jeff, you should be ashamed of yourself. You've known John all these years and you did not know any of his story. You just assumed. Then he gets to talking about, he says, you know, school was really, really hard for me. And he said, I went to English class freshman year and he said, I had this teacher and, and I was bad. I was a poor student and I was especially poor student in his class. And he said, but all the school was hard for me. And he said, along about the end of my sophomore year, um, 
He said, I, he said, I, was, in, he said, I was walking through this place and, and there was this, this like little booklet and, and, and I picked it up and it had all these pictures of demons and, and the devil and stuff like that in it and I was flipping through that. Now, some of you that are a little older, you, you remember, we used to call those tracks. And, you know, people would leave them in, like on tables for waitresses. I mean, I, I think wait, waitresses probably had hundreds of them in the 70s, you know. And, and it was supposed to be a presentation of the gospel. This is, this is the devil and this is sin and this is how bad it is. But now, you know, Jesus has come. And, and anyway, and John says, well, I was flipping through that thing and the demons and everything, it, those didn't mean anything to me. He says, but I got to the back and it said, now, if you... Pray this prayer, God will help you. And I'm thinking, that's not what those tracks say on the back. Those tracks say that you came to believe in that if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and that he died on the cross for you, that you receive him into your life. But isn't it something that sometimes the Holy Spirit just sort of blinds our eyes to some things to get a message to us in another way? I mean, I know how this goes. Sometimes I preach messages and people say to me later, do you remember back when you were talking about this? And I'm thinking, I didn't talk about that. I wasn't talking, you ever had that happen, Jonathan? I wasn't talking about that at all, but that's what they heard and it's not that they've got ADD. It's just the Holy Spirit said, here, let me help you here for a little bit. <clears throat> so John prays, here's John's prayer. God, if you'll help me get through school the next two years, I'll do whatever you want me to do in life. He doesn't know anything. He doesn't know what he's praying. He doesn't know anything. Things start coming along. He gets through his junior year. He goes to his senior year, and he's enrolled in advanced English. Guess who the teacher is? Same one he had for intro English back his freshman year. Teacher's going through the roll, calling names the first morning of class, comes down and says, John Spiker, John Spiker, what are you doing in this class? John said, I was so embarrassed. My face was red. He said, I just felt awful. He said, what's more, back in those days, he said, when you went to, when you, when you wrote a paper, you had to get up and read it in front of your class. And he said, so that came the first time. And I was so nervous. He said, I'd written my paper and I got called on and I went up front and I read my paper. And with that, I put my head down, fearful of what was coming. And I started walking back to my seat. He said, and the teacher says, Spiker, get back up here. And with that, the teacher turns him around, puts his arm around John's shoulder and says, Young man, if every student had the turnaround like you've had, it would make my teaching career worthwhile. Poor teacher never did know that he didn't have anything to do with it, but it was Jesus who turned his life around and answered his prayer. Well, you know, then it just goes on from there. Two years later, John's sitting in a service, something like this one, and the preacher gets up and talks about that God so loved the world, including you that he sent his one and only son and he went to die on a cross to bear your sins. He became sin that you might become the righteousness of God, that you might be right with God and that your life might be right. And if you'd like to receive him tonight, you can. 
And John said, so that night I went forward and I prayed that prayer. He says, but really, I think it was just an affirmation of what I didn't know to pray those four years previous when God really had changed my life. (laughs) Paul had a story. Yeah, I had all this. I did all that. I was the religious guy. But then I met Jesus. And John had a story. Yeah, I didn't know who Jesus was, but, but he introduced himself to me in the most amazing way. And you have a story, don't you? You've got a story, don't you? And for some of you, you're saying, yeah, my story, I remember when I met Jesus. I really do. Others of you say, I'm not there yet. Tell me more. These stories can include words like, our stories include words like emptiness and self-righteousness or loneliness and shame and, and inferiority and brokenness. The beginning of our stories are significant, but more so is the fact that our stories can change. And with Jesus, stories do change. (laughs) And our stories become another chapter in his story. (laughs) His great book, his great story of grace and redemption as we call it in the church. However, these life-changing, life-giving experiences are not the end, but the beginning, and Paul knew that. And for the same man who never got very far away, go back and read it again and again, he often went back to his story. From the man who did not get far away from remembering when he met Jesus, he still had this aspiration to know Jesus more and more. he writes I want to know Christ what's he saying I really want I want to know Christ more than I do now I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death so that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead notice the order there I it, it seems so out of whack First, I want to know the power of his resurrection followed by the sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings. And I suppose if we were to look chronologically and especially in the life of Jesus, we would say that's backwards. But think of it this way. Through the power of the life that he gives us, resurrection power that we sang about earlier, through that power in us, we now have the capacity to share with him in his sufferings, in his redemptive sufferings for the world. And you know, sometimes these sufferings are thrust on Christ's people because of the simple fact that we do belong to Jesus. I would remind us while we sit in comfort this morning that there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of our brothers and sisters who are persecuted today and many of them sit in jails and prisons and are being, are being maligned simply because they named the name of Jesus. 
I remember hearing one of our leaders a few years ago talk about he was in another country and, and one of our leaders there had been in prison and he said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry that's happened to you again. She'd been in prison before because she was a Christian. She says, oh, she says, don't think anything about it. She says, in fact, I think every Christian ought to go to jail every once in a while. It's good for your soul. And for us, we may not quite have it that way, but... But there's also this by his resurrection power that we can choose and he gives us strength to enter into the sufferings of others and by entering into the sufferings of others we come to know him more. Because I spend so much time in the car and have take, I've, the last few years I've taken to listening more and more to um, books on audio Part of it is, I got into this thing called Audible. You know, you try it out for a month for 1995, and then you don't know how to get out of it. <laughs> and so you just keep paying the money, and they keep telling you you're getting free books, but it's like, I'm paying 1995. Where's the free? Anyway. And what I've found that I really gained the most benefit of listening on those is or to biographies, and especially biographies who've made, of people who've made a significant mark in the world. Last year, I listened to the audio, autobiography of, of Nelson Mandela. Oh, wow. Uh, this last year, I listened to three shorter biographies, one on William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army. Wow. Entered into the sufferings of others. David Livingstone, pioneer missionary to Africa. And the one that I just got done with was a lady named Amy Carmichael who went to be a missionary, 19, early, late 1800s. She went to Japan to be a missionary from, from England and because her health was so poor, she came back and uh, lived in Britain for a couple years and then just felt again God's call on her and, and so against the advice of her medical doctor and her family and everybody else, she went to India. And what she saw in India was deeply disturbing to her. One, she, she saw an ingrown missions organization that just so, so bothered her. But also, you've, you've got to understand India in, in those times, there were, girls were basically just of very little value in their families. And there were so many orphans in, in India. And often when a husband would die, his, his wife would be burned also on, on the pyre there. And these children would just, oh, bad. And so often they would just take these girls. Some families would just give them away and, and others, they were just orphans and they would take them to the Hindu temples. And there they would be used as, as prostitutes in quote, the acts of worship, awful. And this so bothered Amy, and, and so and it, it's quite a story, and, and she rescued one girl and, and snuck her away, and it's quite a story, and then there, there was another, and then another, and then there were several of these girls, and she's trying to provide for them and, and care for them. Well, it, 
It angered the Hindu priest and they complained to the Hindu businessmen who complained to the British businessmen who were there and the British businessmen went to the missions organization and they complained and said, you've got to tell her to stop and the missions organization went to Amy and said, you've got to quit this. And she said, but what about the girls? They said, it's sad, but that's, that's not our concern. <laughs> but she couldn't, she couldn't. She just kept gathering the girls, <laughs> hundreds of them eventually, but became an awful burden along the way. She was broken, under-resourced, little or no support. And one day she went to her room. She got down beside her bed and she prayed, Lord, I've done everything I could but it hasn't helped. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Just like the Lord, you just feel like I've tried, but it doesn't matter. And I don't have the strength to go on. I give up, she said. It's just not my problem anymore. And in that moment, in that moment Amy said she saw Jesus and he was kneeling not by an olive tree in the Garden of Gethsemane, but beside a tamarind tree in India. And she could see tears streaming down his cheeks. And he looked at her and said, that's right, Amy. It's not your problem. It's not your burden. It's my problem and it's my burden but I'm looking for someone who will help me bear it. And with that, Amy Carmichael stood back up and the mission went on. In the power of the resurrection, she shared in the fellowship of his sufferings by sharing in the fellowship of their sufferings. And I realize that's a century ago in a far different place, but you know what? The Lord still puts people and matters before us and either we walk into them or we walk away from them. And either we embrace or we reject. But if we really want to know Jesus, we walk with him <laughs> and he walks with us. And out of that, we come to know him better. We know him more. So here's Paul, he had a story, a real story, a life-changing story, a story in which he came to know Christ, a story in which he came to know the righteousness, righteousness of God, not by his own doing, but by Christ. And so now here's Paul, wanting to know Christ and know him more and willingly engaging in suffering, writing from a prison, for the benefit of others. What's your story? And where are you at with Jesus? Have you met Jesus Christ? Have you truly met Jesus Christ? <laughs> Do you know? 
that he loves you. (laughs) Do you know that he died on a cross for you? Do you know these sweet words? Your sins are all forgiven. (laughs) Do you know that after you die, he wants you to live with him forever? And he's made it all possible. And if you've never met Jesus, this could be the greatest day of your life. He's not looking for magic words. He's just looking for an open heart. So in a moment, we're going to take these. Please don't open them yet, but just take it in hand. And for some of you this morning, when you take this, when you open it, by taking this in physically, I really hope that you understand that this would be your moment of saying, Jesus, I'm taking you into my life. I repent of my sins and I give myself to you. I want to know you. And then for others of us, many of us, you take this bread this morning. When you break it, might you pray, Lord, I want to know you and I offer myself to you. You can do with me what you want to, but I want your life to be lived through me. And when you drink that that juice, may it be, and I want your grace (laughs) to live through me, your love to live through me in all the world. So here's what we're going to do. In a moment, we're going to sing. But I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, for some of us, it might just be a good thing to think back when you met Jesus and how things begin to really change. And maybe you'd just like to come and kneel at one of these altars and just one more time as you take the bread and juice say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) All glory goes to you. Thank you, Jesus. Others of you are just saying, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to know you more. You've got me. Do with me what you've got, what you want. And then for some of you this morning, maybe even you would be one who would say, I want to know you. And you'd just like to come and and kneel and say, yeah. Or maybe you've already done that and you just say, I want to make it formal. I want to kneel as a sign of what Jesus has done for me. So we're reaching back. This is an old chorus, but it's so beautiful. The words are so good. So we're going to sing it. We'll sing it through a couple times, but... For any, I know we all can't, but for some of us who might want to come and pray, this would be a beautiful, beautiful time to do that. We'll sing this a couple times. You'd like to come and pray. Others of you will prepare for communion. I invite you to stand with me, please. Lord Jesus, now, these moments are hallowed that we enter into. And indeed, your word has gone out 
and your spirit is among us. And so we offer and we receive in a moment these sacraments. And we ask that they will be holy within our hearts. And we pray this in your name. Amen. If you'll take the bread, please. symbol of the body of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took on flesh, came and lived among us to show us what, who God is, and then offered himself, broken on a cross, for our sins and the sins of the world. Take this and be glad Christ has come for you. we take the cup the symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for the remission of sins for you and for many may all who have believed on him unto salvation and life eternal drink this and be glad Christ has died for you. Jesus, may the life that you have given to us be lived through us. And may we live in such a way that on the day we meet you face to face we have your favor and blessing may ultimately we hear those words enter into the joys of your Lord while you give us life and breath here may we sing of the goodness of God and may we live in the power of the resurrection of others and may we know you pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.